Welcome to the Teddy Talk Podcast. I'm Teddy Tannenbaum, and my guest today is Haas Hassan. Haas and I go back to the early days of the natural foods movement. We worked together while living in a kind of a post-hippie commune, also known as an ashram, and immersing ourselves in the practice of meditation and community service in Denver, Colorado. Haas emerged out of that period as a pioneer in the natural foods retail uh, with the co-founding of Alfalfa's Market in Boulder, which he later sold to Wild Oats, and the creation of Fresh and Wild Markets in London, England, which he sold to Whole Foods. In addition to serving on the board of Whole Foods Market for many years, Haas has served on a number of other boards in the natural products industry. Easily one of the savviest leaders and coolest guys I have known, Haas and I have been pals for 45 years. Our families have traveled and vacationed together a number of times, and I was delighted to be the officiant at his wedding and the weddings of both his two older children. Just great fun to sit down and chat with him for this podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Everybody, this is Teddy Tannenbaum, and this is the very first inaugural Teddy Time Teddy Talk podcast. We're sitting here in Venice, California, uh, in my home, and I'm sitting here with Haas Hassan, a longtime friend and colleague and pal, and we're going to chat a little bit. We've uh, known each other for a long time. We've had a lot of experience together, and. Haas has a lot of experience and background in the natural products industry. He and I have both worked in that industry together and separately. And since a big focus of what I want to talk about in these things is leadership, I invited Haas to uh, join in this afternoon, talk a little about leadership. So welcome. Hi, Ted. Nice to see you. Good to see you. Nice to be in California. Yeah, it's, uh, Haas lives in Boulder. It's a little chilly there right now. 10 degrees and snowing. Yeah. <laughs> so here we are in, in Venice Beach. No socks, no snow tires. How, why don't you start by just telling us a little about yourself and your background, kind of how you spent much of your adult life. Um, adult life, yes. Uh, much of my background, all of my background, really my work experience has been in the natural products industry, uh, primarily on the retail side, but not just on that side. Been involved since the early days of the development of the organic food industry when the industry transformed from a pill-based, herbs-based industry and became really a, the engine that has driven the food renaissance that's happened in America over the last 20 years. The development, the idea of eating healthy eating naturally, eating products that are both good for you and good for the planet. So I've been involved in that since 1974, so 45 years almost. So, And we go back to those days in, in the uh, early mid-70s when you were running a uh, natural foods kind of co-op. That's right. In the Capitol Hill section of Denver. That's right. In the what is now lower downtown, but in those days was the uh, skid row of Denver, I guess you could say. I guess it was the skid row of Denver. Yeah. Um, pawn shops, 
what in those days were called winos. Right. And the ghost the ghosts of Neil Cassidy and Jack Kerouac That's were right. present. That's right. Pimps and hookers on the street down there yeah. was a, a lively place. I remember we had a warehouse where we had the uh it was a big open space and we didn't have any money, so we didn't we couldn't divide the space up. So we divided up with yellow kind of like police tape on the floor and sectioned things off. And we had uh the, the co-op there, food. We also had a motor pool. I think we had a wood shop and a print shop and you know, a whole community there. And the health department came by and said, you know, you want to have a bit more divider between <laughs> your food and your motor pool. That's right. That's what closed that place down. Right. That, that took care of that. And then uh, moved that, uh, that co-op into a storefront. On York and Colfax. Yeah. Colfax. Sort of, as you said, the, the sort of ghosts of the beat generation in Denver in those days sort of ran through Colfax, Satire Lounge. The Satire Lounge. 24-hour yes. IHOP. Right. Um, One of the longest commercial blocks in the country, I think. It Colfax. is. Still is. Hasn't really changed that much. Wow. A lot of Denver's gentrified all around it, but somehow Colfax, <laughs> from the Capitol building downtown, runs... Miles and miles out east just is this commercial, thriving wow. hub of Denver that's still the way it always was. Yeah. IHOP's still there. Satire Lounge is long gone. but And uh, good Mexican food, I remember, as well. There was good Mexican yeah. food there. So when that, uh, when that phase was over, I remember uh, you transitioned with your partners and you opened uh, a market up in Boulder. That's right. The uh, Pearl Street Market, which became Alfalfa's Market. Right. Which uh, was one of the early kind of natural foods chains, small chains. Yeah, it was the one of the early stores that tried to take the idea of healthy food, organic food, and community-based grocery store. Right. Um, now exemplified by, you know, Erewhon, I guess, in the heart of Venice. <laughs> Venice. Yeah. Um, but in those days, that uh, the idea of creating sort of a community center where people could see their friends, see their neighbors, somewhere they went on a regular basis, pre-Starbucks and the coffee shop right. culture of a place to hang out. The grocery store was a place to hang out and do that. Particularly, you know, the natural food stores, which were then being run by young people who were the same people that were hanging out in them. Right. So it became a real community center. It became Pe a community center. People showed up center. there and hung out. Yeah, as you said, pre-Starbucks. I remember uh, the first time I visited the store, I remember seeing some graphics that said, we read the labels so you don't have to. That's right. Right? So there was real, the community felt like, hey, if we want natural, organic, high-quality food... We can trust you guys have done all the vetting. That's right. That was the idea back then. And I think there are still, somebody's co-opted that, uh, lo that, that logo and that, uh, that concept. And I can't remember where I saw it. I saw a store just recently. Maybe it was Erewhon. It says, if it's here, it's good for right, you. Right, that's what Erewhon is does. Is that Erewhon? If, if it's here, it's good for you, which yeah. is similar to the, yeah, you know, we read the, the labels, you don't have to. Yeah, it's, it's the, the same concept. It's the 2018 version. Yeah. Go. Little hipper, hell of a lot more expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and good quality food. Great quality food, yeah. So I'm curious, 
uh, I remember we had lost touch for a little while and we reconnected when you were at Alfalfa's and, and growing that business. That was probably one of your first experiences in a leadership role with a larger organization. Yes. So I'm, I'm curious, what was that like? Do you remember back, what was it like to find yourself in a position of leadership where people look to you for you know, vision and guidance and whatever else? You know, it was really pretty easy because for me, it came out of my experience of being involved in the meditation group right. and living in a community, a very focused, purposed community. And so when I first got started in the natural products industry, I took the concepts that I had learned there, which had so impacted my life and changed my life completely. Right. And it was really around doing service, doing something for others. It was around creating a community environment and um, that's what I used as sort of the guiding principles of the business and out of that came sort of a leadership style of inspiring yourself and other people right. to do something meaningful and purposeful and while it wasn't you know Medicine Without Frontiers, it was still something that was contributing to the community, contributing towards changing the way people ate and their personal health and contributing towards the burgeoning environmental movement right. by supporting and developing organic agriculture that cared for the soil. So it had some purpose to it. Right. it was, and so that made it easy to sort of have a guiding principle. And that sort of permeated both what we did and how we did it and the style in which we interacted with with ourselves and with other people. Yeah. So we established a <clears throat> kind of a set of guiding principles or um, – almost like rules of engagement, how we're going to be together. Yeah. And it sounds like pretty high-minded, high-cause motivation and, uh, and some zeal, some influencing uh, of, the, of the population towards, you know, caring for what you put in your body and caring for the environment at the same yeah. time. And in some ways, it was really pure because there was no money involved. No, nobody was making, nobody was making any, any money. money. <laughs> <laughs> nobody was putting money into it. And um, so the, the money piece was just wasn't even there. So it wasn't like we were so high-minded. It just didn't exist. <laughs> so if you wanted to be doing that, you were doing it because it had a purpose yeah. and it had a meaning to you, not because you might make some money out of it. Um, that came later. Right. And uh, that that change things in a lot of ways not that it people didn't still have motivation and and purpose but you know when money gets involved it shades it in a different way so all of us who were involved in the industry in those days it just wasn't even on the screen right. so you were doing it because it had a meaning to you and it had a purpose to you and yeah and probably with very little if any expectation that it would morph into anything like a livelihood or a career. I mean, I think enough of an understanding to go, you know what, we could probably make this work in a way that we could support ourselves. And that was a part of it. Like, let's do something meaningful and let's pay our rent. 
right. that was about as far as you could kind of see the financial piece going. There were no banks involved. There were right. no investors involved. There were no um, financial backers involved. It was very much hand-to-mouth and, right. and community-to-community. But, yeah, there was a feeling of like, hey, we could do something really cool, really great, with purpose, and support ourselves yeah. and, and pay the rent. And everybody working here would have an opportunity to pay their rent out of this. That would be great. Right. That's was, about as uh, far thinking as yeah, far yeah, thinking as the financial aspect went. It, it wasn't like uh, there was a bunch of MBAs who went on the entrepreneurial track and came out of the uh, out of the university and said, "Okay, let's start this." No, see, no, yeah. no. That came later. That came later. Yeah. And then, and it's kind of funny that, you know, that pervades it now because a lot of money's been made and right. it's appealing to a lot of people. And, you know, back then you looked at the people who were doing it and who were working in the stores, you know, they tended to be people like you and me, sort of like, uh, I guess what in those days were called dropouts. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you look at John Mackey, founder of Whole Foods, right. and as influential as he's been, college dropout. Nowadays, you know, I'm, I was talking to some people that have a relatively small hummus company in, out of Boulder, and I was like, oh, how did you get involved in this? He's like, oh, well, when I was at Stanford getting my MBA, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> As a, and as then a, the guy who's running their operations and like, oh, you know, what's your background? He said, well, I went to Harvard and got my MBA at Harvard. It's a little different scene. You know? Yeah, I I remember uh, coming out of college, people, you know, took three tracks. There was the ones who wanted to become attorneys and they could join city councils and try to change legislation from the inside. And then there were ones who said, I'm going to get myself an old school bus and a quarter acre land in West Virginia and do a little organic truck farming. And then there was a bunch of folks who went to the East and said, you know, the, the, the West doesn't hold right. the answer. I'm going to look to the East and understand, you know, that, those kind of philosophies. And uh, you and I both had that experience, you know, uh, both having spent time in India many years ago. And then uh, in your case in particular, came back to the, the truck farm Yes, that's except, right. Except it was a it was a co-op in Lodo. That's right. So, I mean, the, the other thing that you know is it was a part of the changing of society that was happening in terms of environmental awareness, a health yeah. awareness, um, but it was also the very beginning of a change in the way that people did business. That was the start just coincidentally timing wise of the entrepreneurial right. boom which is massively changed not just business but obviously society and you look at all the things that have created this current revolution right. the the communications the social network etc um revolutions all come out of an entrepreneurial mindset and that was a time when that was just beginning. Yes. I, I remember in particular that, I mean, of course, when people went to graduate school, uh, they were called Masters in Business Administration, and there was no entrepreneurial track. It was no. very much production, marketing, distribution. But there was a fellow uh, in upstate New York who ran an entrepreneurial kind of incubator. And that was very forward-thinking then. 
and and uh, people flock there, you know, who just couldn't quite fit into what society had to offer. And and it was not that they went there, but that was the generation, the Steve Jobs and the Bill Gates. They took a look around at organizations that existed where they could possibly work and find some meaning, perhaps, and it didn't exist. Yeah. So they had to start their own. So to create that themselves. And that was in tech. Same thing was happening in food. Now it's called disruptive technology. Right. right? But it evolved from that time. So I'm curious, with, with that kind of egalitarian approach where, you know, we want to, the, the people and the products and the environment and the changing of society, it must kind of uh, almost predicate a particular kind of leadership. Absolutely. That, that, that was different than what you were seeing at a, a, a GE or a GM or Coca-Cola, for example. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, part of it, you can't separate it from the times, right? Certainly. So we're talking about the early 70s coming out of the 60s right. in an era when a lot of people were looking around and saying, I don't want to... I don't want to spend my life, I don't want to spend my time in this very top-down, very bureaucratic, very old-style, almost military-style leadership that has created the sort of post-war 50s and 60s boom that happened in America. And then you had the sixties and then people came out of that and they were like, I don't want to, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to be treated like that. And I don't want to treat other people like that. And so those organizations still existed. Um, and that way of doing business and that style of leadership still existed. But what was created out of that was an alternative style, which was much more collaborative, which right. was much more purpose driven, much more participatory. Um, and sort of, that's what I found myself in part of that, being swept up by that tide, which was, you know, I'm going to work, have to work, right? Got to feed myself, got to pay my rent. Um, and I'm going to spend more time with the people I work with than I'm going to spend with my loved ones and my chosen friends. These are the people I'm going to be with right. the vast majority of my time for the next 30, 40 years. So... It's up to me to create an environment that is good to be in, that I want to be in. Right. Nowadays, you can say, okay, a supportive environment, but you know, in, that wasn't even a term that was around those days. It was more, I have to create my own world. And part of that was, how do I interact with the people I work with? What is the leadership style that comes out of that? What is the communication style that, that comes out of that? And um, like I said, for me, that was influenced by the meditation community that I came out of. And um, so it had a huge influence on um, my practice of leadership, I guess yeah. you'd say, although... You know, as I listen, it, it occurs to me also that if you, when you have a clear uh, point of view like that of what you were trying to do that was distinguished from or distinctive from what was, you know, going on before or, current, or currently, you would attract like-minded people who want to work in that environment, right? Yeah. Not everybody took a leadership role and created something, but those who were looking for that same kind of experience would go, okay, that's what's going on over there. And you could attract that kind of, of uh, like-minded folks to be part of the of the team that you were working with. That's right. Yeah. I remember uh, as you built up Alfalfas, I think it was 
up to about a, uh, 11 stores or so, something like that. Yeah, 12 stores. 12 I stores. Think. And uh, in three couple of three states, up in, plus up in, uh, in Canada and Vancouver. And then you sold that to uh, Wild Oats. And that was a big change. So tell us a little about what your experience was and, you know, as you made that change and, and how you used that to transition to what you ended up doing next. Um, I think, one, it was, I always told myself personally, when I looked at myself, part of the whole work experience for me and for the, as you were saying, the like-minded people that get attracted to that environment, part of the thing was that we're going to use the work environment as a tool to develop ourselves, right? We're going to deal with, particularly in a growth, creative environment where you're building something new, you're constantly being challenged. So you either stay at one level, do the same thing, don't deal with those challenges, or if you want to grow, you got to deal with those challenges. You got to develop as a person. You, it, it becomes a process to be able to do that with, and that's what it was for me. That's why I enjoyed it. That's why I liked being in that business world, selling food. Not that exciting <laughs> a vision, but the rest of it, the purpose right. behind that, right. and the personal growth opportunity was very exciting. But I always told myself, if I ever get to a point where I don't like doing this and I don't want to go to work. It's one thing like to wake up one day and say, shoot, I don't want to go to work today. I want to take the day off. Right. It's sunny. I want to, or I want to lay in bed and pull the covers over. Right. We all do that, right? But if you regularly wake up and you go, I don't want to go to work. I'm not, I don't want to do this. I'd always tell myself, I'm going to stop. Right. I'm not going to do that. And I just reached that point with alfalfas and wild oats and i was the president of wild oats for a year after an ipo and i did not enjoy it i didn't like it i didn't like what i was doing i didn't like the people i was around i was like right. i always told myself if i get to that point i'm gonna quit so i quit and um really enjoyed the opportunity to be still relatively young you know, in my 40s at the time, and take some time off and just stop and spend time. I had kids, spend time with my family, spend some time traveling, and just sort of step off the moving pavement for a bit. And I really cherish that opportunity yeah. to do that. And when I talk to people and, you know, sometimes... People ask me about, you know, I'm thinking about doing this, something about doing that. I got this opportunity. What do you think? I always tell people, if you got an opportunity to take a break from sort of the hurdy-gurdy spinning wheel, yeah. take it and look at yourself and look at life from a standing still point of view instead of moving. So I did that. And that was fabulous. Really enjoyed it. Did it for a year. And then it was time to, you know, re-engage in the world. So um, got involved in starting another business. Right. In fact, and I was talking to my kids today, and I was like, you know, I remember when I was younger, and I was like, I want to retire when I'm 50. 
putter around the garden, pull some weeds, <laughs> smoke some weed, sit in a rocking chair, right. <laughs> whatever. And I'm like, shit, I'm almost 70 and I'm still working. And, um, you know, times change and you change and your perspective changes. Yeah, and but somehow the work that you've chosen to do has captured your imagination, right? Because I think I know you well enough to know that that feeling you had at one point where you said, I don't want to do this anymore, if you didn't want to do it, you wouldn't do it. Right. So there must be something that's captured your imagination. And and I know you, you know, people, because you've been in the industry, the natural products industry for so long and are so well respected, people come to you ask for advice all the time. And uh, and also they want your mentorship. Right? That's right. So you seem you must seem to enjoy that. I do enjoy that. And uh, what do they say? You can fool some of the people some of the time. But you can't fool all the people all the time. Yeah, so, can't even, don't even want to try. Yeah. Um, yes, I like doing. I like being active. I like being engaged. Yeah. I like. Um, I like interacting with people. I like. I don't like being the oldest person in the room, which unfortunately I frequently look around the table and I go, "Oh shit, I'm the oldest, oldest person, person in, in the, the room. room again." Yeah, uh, but I, I, ha- I have you that have experience. that same experience, yeah. and, I, and I'm. Uh, I'm two weeks older than you, so I'm the oldest person in the room by two weeks. Great. I'm not the oldest person in this room. That's why I like hanging around with you. There you go. There you go. Um, But I do like being around the energy of younger people, too. Yeah. And, you know, the work I do gives me the opportunity to provide some perspective. And you do get some perspective when you've been through stuff for 40 years that you don't have when you're just been doing it for a couple of years and that's helpful but i, I like being around that young creative yeah energy i i'm i'm having a, a kind of a renaissance around that myself right now really enjoying i seem to be much more attractive to and much more attracted to the uh, entrepreneur early stage companies that are just trying to find their way and learn how to scale their business and uh you know it's like Jerry Garcia, you know, said once, he said, something has to be done, and it's just amazing that it happened. turns out it has to be us to do it. Right. Right? <laughs> so, uh, and I know we all, you and I often laugh about that. Really? How do we end up here? But I, I, I get energized by the uh, younger folks, the executives I work with who are in their late 20s and their mid and even late 30s, and they're just some of them serial entrepreneurs and just, you know, they're building companies and they're trying to scale these businesses and just fill with wonderful energy. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's really cool. So, uh, you know, you've also had a lot of board experience. I think you do a lot of board work now and you've had a board experience with large companies like Whole Foods. I'm curious from a, a leadership position as a board member, how that was different from, you know, running companies and uh, some of what you've learned in that environment. Yeah, it's very different from running companies because you have a high degree of responsibility and accountability and you're high profile in these companies and yet you don't really make decisions and you're not really involved in what's going on and on a day-to-day basis, basis, which is... You know, where everything happens, right? Happens right now, today. So you don't make decisions about that and you don't 
really influence that very much other than through the selection of the people who are making everything happen. So it's a very different role. But I like it. I like it because, like I said, there's something about having seen things again and again and again and having done things again and again and again over decades that provides a perspective that you don't have if you've never done there. If you've yeah. never done that, you've never been there. Yeah. It's relevant in every facet it's, of the world, sports, entertainment, yeah. music, whatever. There's something incredible about the freshness of the first time of doing something, but there's also something really valuable about having done it and seen it and being able to bring that perspective. So that's what I try to do. I try to bring that perspective of, yes, I know what happens next or what's likely to happen next. next. I know what can happen next. Right. And let's try and be conscious of that and make a decision about what we want to have happen next. Right. And I like being in a situation where um, I can help people who are going through what I've gone through. Yeah. So, so it's a little it's, giving back. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a way to give back and share what you've learned and what you've experienced. It's Yeah, it's the, um, what I call the wisdom of experience, right? It's interesting. I find there's a, I try to find this balance of, yeah, there's a likelihood that you know what, how the company, which, what stages of development they're going through and what some of the potholes are and the pitfalls are. And yet you, you know, you want to provide guidance but there's also the balance with that, that. Remember that concept of the beginner's mind, right. right? In in the in the mind of the beginner, there are so many possibilities. In the mind of the expert, there are so few. So how do how do you take that wisdom of your experience and balance it with coming into a situation open minded enough to have the the mind of a beginner? You know the way I do it is. I try to remember, and I, somehow I'm able to access it pretty easily how I felt and how I thought when I was at the beginning of the being the doer, yeah. right? And what to me would have been helpful and useful and what to me was just some old guy spinning off what he used to do, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> I can remember that really well. Yeah. And uh, maybe that's part of, you know, growing up in that sort of really rebellious attitude and, and time when you just go, okay, I don't really want to hear, you know, what some older right. person has <laughs> to tell me. So that's the filter I always use. Right. I, I'm, I can access that really easily and I just go, okay, I remember, I know what it feels like to be in that position and what would have been useful to me, what would have been helpful and I and that's what I use. And I go, okay, that that would have been helpful. Yeah, that would have you know saved me some time and effort and heartache. aggravation, money, all sorts of things. all sorts of things. So in a sense, you put yourself back in that person's role from their perspective. Yeah, right. And say, okay, what what's going to be meaningful to them? It's like understanding your customers and your audience. What's going to be meaningful to them? Yeah, what's meaningful to them, and what's helpful to them, and what do they want? Right. You know, what do they not want? Right. right? And uh, and that makes it to me that makes it pretty simple and easy. Yeah. I, I, there are two things that that uh, I try to remind myself in a similar vein. One is to be curious, 
right? I, I worked with a fellow some years ago uh, who was uh, uh, older than us and a philanthropist and just involved in some wonderful environmental causes. And he used to be, uh, you know, he was a big-time insurance, a commercial insurance executive, uh, ran, you know, started companies, ran companies, sold companies. And I asked him about leadership, and he was telling me that he said, I, when I hired people, I looked for people who were curious. So that just reminded me, be curious. And then, and on top of that, uh, to the, the questions you ask about, you know, what do you want to accomplish? What yeah. are your desired outcomes? Yeah. If you start with the end in mind, you know, then you can draw upon all your experience, right? Yeah, that's a huge one. You know, when I talk to people and, and when I go on, you know, I have been on a lot of boards. I think I've been on about somewhere between 25 and 30 boards, and I'm on six right now still. And when I talk to people, that's the first thing I usually ask people. What do you want? What, what do you want to have happen? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And if you can be clear about that, that makes it so much more focused and yeah. simpler and easier. And you've got a filter that you can use that, that you know, lets you move forward. Right. And, and you can also determine if you're going to be successful or not. Yeah. I, I, I often think of it in terms of there's, there's where you're at now, right? which has a lot to do with self-awareness, and there's what you want to accomplish, what your desired outcomes are. And I find that most of us are over-indexed towards one or the other. I know some people are really super self-aware. They know exactly what they're good at, what they're not so good at, how to do workarounds, all that. But they're not really clear about where they want to get to. There's other people who got their eye on the prize. They know exactly what success is going to look like, but they really don't have a clue of where they are. So they kind of trip over themselves, sometimes make the same mistakes over and over again. I mean, I'm sure it takes a blend of those, but you know, I'm a big believer in uh, this concept of you, you act, you move, and if you do that, all sorts of things happen. Right. You know, there's this great quote, I can't remember it, so I'll just have to paraphrase it, but this, this uh, leader of a Himalayan expedition, a Scottish Himalayan expedition going up, climbing Everest the night before they were going to try and summit. And he's sitting around with everybody. He talked about how there's a magic in moving and acting and that when you act and when you move, all sorts of wonderful things happen to help you that would never happen if you just sat still, right? You get lucky, you get fortune comes your way you just never know who's going to come along and help you um and that there's a magic in that and if you just sit still none of that's going to happen <laughs> so i'm a big believer in that yeah it, it's uh it's about being bold yeah right? and if you talk about leadership to me you can talk about all these different leadership styles but really what leadership is is the people that are willing to move and act and then, because a lot of people aren't, right. a lot of people either are scared or don't know how or don't have, never had the environment, the experience where they've created and done things. And the people who are, who are leaders are the people who are willing to just say, I'm going to move, I'm going to act. Right. And other people are attracted to that. Other people follow that. And... That's what I think of as leadership, not 
okay, this is my style. This is the right. way I talk to people. This is the way I motivate people. This is the way I encourage people. That's all sort of like the fluff that comes around it. Right. But the idea of taking action, it nothing, you know, it, as you know, I'm a big baseball guy. Uh, the beautiful thing about baseball is that nothing happens until the pitcher lets go of the ball. Yeah. That's right. Once he releases the ball, then all Everything sorts of things can happen, happen. Right? Yeah. So it starts with that initial action. In in the world that I'm, you know, in the consulting world I work in now, I often use the term taking initiative. It, and defined as, you know, it, that in any given situation, you see what the appropriate action is that needs to be undertaken, and you're willing to proceed on your own without anybody asking you or telling you. And when you do that, what I'm hearing from you is when you do that, People who are like-minded get that and say, I'll follow this guy. Yeah. I'll follow this gal, yeah. right? I, I like where they're headed. I like how they're headed there. Right. right? That's exactly it. And yeah. you may remember uh, a long time ago, we decided that we would get together in Houston and try and levitate the Astrodome. Off, we off didn't the do foundation. It. It didn't, off the foundation. I don't think it worked. I don't think we levitated it. Depending but on we did try. View. We did try. And that set in motion... At least for me, all sorts of things that my life has grown out of. So that, to me, was the example of, hey, you know, you don't get hung up on whether it's going to work or not, but you decide you're going to try and do something. And you do it. And you do it. And then you can reframe it any way you want. Yeah, it was a hell of a lot of fun. That's where we first met. Yeah. And it was was a hot summer. I remember shortly after that, we were both in Denver, and uh, when, you know, doing a lot of community work, community service, a lot of meditation... And uh, when, when I was a, a community leader there, you were part of my team. And I, do you remember where I, what I inspired you to do, to go take a class? I'm a graduate of the Emily Griffith School of Opportunity. That's yes, right. you are, in Denver, I, Colorado. That's the only college I ever graduated <laughs> from. I took an accounting class at night to do that. You know, the other day, a friend of mine called me up and said, I want you to come look at this business with me. Um, it's called a green garage. And so it's an, a, an attempt to create an environmentally friendly way of caring for your car, recycling oil, all sorts of right. wonderful things to help reduce the pollutive effects of our automobiles called green garage. So I went down there, looked at it, Half garage, half yoga studio, <laughs> half coffee shop. I was like, this looks kind of familiar to me. Um, and I went back and I started talking to the guys that were working back there. You know, young. This was in Denver. I was talking to this young Latino guy that was working on the cars. I said, how do you end up working in this environmental friendly stuff? He said... I went to the Emily Griffith School of Opportunity. I went, hey, <laughs> alumni. I high-fived the guy. Huh? I said, you're the first alumni I've ever met. So it's still there. It's still going. <laughs> I remember it well. And, uh, and all that accounting helps you as you became, you know, an uh, uh, entrepreneur and a leader and yes. a finance guy. And later, you know, um, we, we turned the tide and I worked for you. That's right. And uh, see, when, when you worked for me, I didn't pay you. You didn't. We were volunteers. No. No. And when I work for you, you paid me. So I really owe you on that one. You do owe me, yeah. <laughs> I'll collect sometimes. <laughs> so curious, you know, you were, we were chatting earlier about this just came out from the World Health Organization. 
Yeah. Something about they've redefined, how do they put it? They redefined the age groups and what, what adolescence or young age or what a middle age is. Can That's you, right. They've redefined what old age is. That's, that was sort of the central piece. And then out of that, a bunch of other um, age classifications came. But basically, it used to be that 50 was considered old. And then over a few decades, that changed to 60 okay. became old. Now they have reclassified it to say that 66 to 79 is considered middle-aged. Ta-da! 80 to 99 is considered elderly or senior. Wow. So... Does that mean we lose our senior discounts? No. God, I hope not. It means you got to better get back out to work and keep going <laughs> for another decade or two. And what is middle-aged then? Middle-aged is 66 to 79 is middle-aged. Is middle-aged. So what's prior to 66? 18 to 65. That's a long way. That's a big That's a big chunk. Bracket. That's considered young people. <laughs> I'm thinking the 19-year-olds are looking at the 64-year-olds and going, <laughs> yeah. no way. No, that doesn't, <laughs> I'm that not buying that one me. bit. <laughs> we need a little more stratification than that. Oh, As man. they say, I don't know if you've ever seen the overheard in L.A. Have you ever seen that? I think I have seen it, that. It's a, it, yeah. yeah. I was walking along behind two very attractive young Venice ladies this afternoon. They were talking to each other as I was walking along. She was like, well, I've been out with him a couple of times. And the other one said, first question was, how old was he? <laughs> Absolutely. So that's oh my. my overheard in LA. Yeah. Uh, so now that we're in middle age, and uh, feels pretty good. Is that what I am, middle-aged? Yeah, 66, 66 to, 70, to 79. 79. Yep. Right. I'm really curious. Uh, what's, you have a ways to go before you enter uh, elderly or now. You still have years to go before you, while you're still in middle age. Yeah. What's, what's on tap for you? What's, what are you looking forward to? You know, I don't know. Just recently, as of last year, I ended my tenure on the board of Whole Foods, which was a major event for me. In some ways, the purchase of Whole Foods by Amazon was, to me, the end of an era. Mm -hmm. Not a sad end of an era, because I think it's tremendously exciting about the future. And, uh, you know... I think of Amazon as one of the companies that's going to shape the future of the way we live and the way we shop, and more than the way we shop, the way people live. And for Whole Foods to be a part of that, super exciting. That's there's. I look at Whole Foods over the last 35, 40 years that I've been involved um, as part of a movement that has changed retail and the way people eat and the way agriculture and farming is done, right. there's going to be another sea change over the next 20 years. And Whole Foods is going to have an opportunity to be a part of that with Amazon. So for me, it was sort of the ending of an era and um, a change for me, you know, a way for me to think about, okay, I was a part of that movement from the beginning through that step. And... 
I don't know what I'm going to do next. I know I'm still involved in the industry. I'm still on the board of a lot of companies. I like doing that, but I'm going to think about, I'm going to take a little time, what that means for me personally and whether I just keep sort of riding that wave, but not the big waves (laughs) 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 or whether I do something different. And I don't really know. Yeah. So you'll, you'll be discovering that. I'll be discovering that yeah. uh, as I go. Yeah, interesting. The uh, your frame on the Amazon acquisition of Whole Foods. So many companies. You know, it's I don't know what the stats are, but most uh, organizations that incorporate fail within the first you know three years or yeah. something like that. So for for a company like Whole Foods, which was you know changing industry. Yeah. With ground up acquisitions, they became the standard bearer, first organic grocer in the country, um, nationally certified organic grocer. And to build it up like that, and then instead of looking at it as, well, we couldn't survive, we couldn't thrive any longer, uh, looking at it like, no, we're, we're, we see what the next wave is, and this is a, it's a chance for us to be part of that next wave. Absolutely. That's a whole different, you can have a whole different set of outcomes with that, yeah. as opposed to begrudging what was. Yeah. I mean, you know, was. to me, a ending would have been if Whole Foods was purchased by a Walmart, Walmart. or a Kroger Costco. or nothing against those companies are very right. successful, but that's a model that is, have been you know, a foundation of the food industry, but it's not the future, I don't think. To me, Amazon and where they're going to go is the future. And for Whole Foods to be a part of that future, that's incredibly exciting for all the people that work there and for the customers uh, of Whole Foods. And I don't know what it's going to be. Who knows, you know? Um, I think it's going to be radically different then, oh, we're just going to open a whole bunch more stores and you're going to be able to get home delivery. I don't think that even scratches the surface of what it's going to look like um, in the next 10, 20 years. Yeah, it's a disruptive endeavor for an online organization to buy a retail brick-and-mortar company. Yeah, and and the food business, you know, that's about as fundamental as it gets. People buy food all the time, every week. They never stop. As long as they're alive, (laughs) they keep buying it. And so it's going to be, I think it's going to be very exciting and and very transformational. Yeah. I I remember uh, when we first worked together in in that natural foods industry uh, at Alfalfa's, and I I said to you, so what do I need to know? And you said, you know, uh, it's a pretty simple business. We buy it at this price. We sell at that price. We try to remember to turn the lights off at the end of the day and yeah. keep the expenses down. That's right. <laughs> so with that, I just want to appreciate you for taking the time while you're here in L.A., hang out with me in Venice at the house here, and uh, have this wonderful chat, a little bit of reminiscing, a little That's bit of understanding kind of you know, how you show up in the world and what, what, you, what you do and just... Uh, and how you hold the future. So I appreciate your time, man. Well, thank you, Teddy. It's always great to see you. Great cool. to spend a little time. Sunglasses to sunglasses. <laughs> All right, pal. All right, cheers. Thanks. Cheers. cheers.